So today, I have the honor to speak this message continuing on in our sermon series titled Strange Things. And as I do so, I look forward to coming from a few different perspectives. I know that today is graduation Sunday and we've just honored these amazing graduates, but I also hope to speak something that would convey wisdom to all. Today, we're going to talk about the thought and idea of irrational obedience that led to a miraculous catch of fish. And as we do so, I want you to know that the uh, scriptures will be on the screen behind me, and I'm going to read it from the Bible myself. We are coming from John 21, verses 1 through 14. Sorry, I was supposed to have my Bible up here, and I left it in my office. Good job, Israel. <clears throat> so this is what it says in John 1, 21 through verses 1, 1 through 14. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel and Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord, he wrapped around his outer garments around him and he had jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish behind them. They were about a hundred yards from the shore. When they landed, they saw the fire of burning coals and there, were, there was already fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153 to be exact. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. There are many different things that I look forward to breaking down about that story found in John 21. But before I do so, I want to highlight a couple other different things that took place and bring recognition to a couple other different things. And what I want to bring recognition to is the fact that this was not the first time Peter found himself being crowned as Bassmaster, okay? <laughs> yes. Peter also went through this experience before in Luke chapter 5. Jesus was hanging out at the lake of Gennesaret, and Peter had no idea who Jesus was, but he was soon getting ready to find out. We're going to read the story of what takes place in Luke chapter 5. This is verses 1 through 11. It says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats 
left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So were James and John and the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore and they left everything that they had and they followed him. I want to break down this story. Jesus is preaching out on a lake. And the amount of people that were there to hear him speak became so numerous that he felt like they were crowding him. So in order to try to create space, he begins to take a look around and assess the situation. And he realizes that there are two boats sitting at the water's edge. And these boats were empty because the Bible says the fishermen were away cleaning their nets at the time. There is no dialogue in Luke chapter 5 that says Jesus asked Peter to get into the boat. No. It just says that he got into the boat that belonged to Simon Peter, and then he asked him, can you give me a push out onto the water? This is all speculation, but based off the things that we have learned about Peter, I, I wonder if he was a little annoyed and irritated in that moment. And I'll explain why I think that in a little bit. But Jesus is now sitting in the boat, and he is back to teaching the crowds of people. I have no idea how long Jesus was speaking for. It could have been an hour, half an hour, half the day. The Bible does not give an exact time for how long he spoke. But what I do know is that after Jesus finished speaking, he says to all the people, and when he finished speaking to all the people in the crowd, he turns and he says to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water. And let down your nets for a catch of fish. And Simon responded to him and said, Master, we have worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything. I want to pause right there. I want to explain why I believe Peter might have been a little annoyed and frustrated or bothered in this moment. Let's think about this. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. According to the text... This was his first encounter with Jesus. They hadn't met before. They were not buddies. And he did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not know that Jesus was a miracle worker. All he knew, for all he knew, Jesus could have been just some other rabbi. And he was not Peter's rabbi, so he was not fully bought into Jesus's teachings. At that moment in time, Jesus's name and reputation carried no weight with Peter. Again, we have no idea how long that, that Jesus had been speaking for. We just know that he got into his boat and began to speak. So what happens after he begins to speak is he then asks Peter, hey, why don't you push out into the deep 
waters. Think about this. Peter was cleaning his nets. So that means getting back in the water means I now have to get these nets dirty again. Whether I catch fish or not, when I come back, I'm going to have to re-clean these nets. Also think about this. Going back into the water did not just affect Peter. He was not out there alone. Peter was also with him and his crew. Notice that Peter said, we've been fishing all night long and have caught nothing. That word weave implies that Peter had his people with him. So when Jesus says, get back into the water, it's not just Peter alone. It also means the other folks that were part of his fishing crew. And I can imagine that they may have been a little annoyed as well. I imagine that Peter thought when Jesus said, push out to the deep end. I imagine Peter may have thought, push out to the deep end. Like, what do you think we did all night long? Just hang out on the lake banks? Like, don't you think we tried fishing in the deep end? You're telling me to do something that I've already tried. See, getting back into the water was not just some simple task. Getting back into the water meant that they were going to have to work hard again. Remember in verse 5, it says, Simon Peter says, we have worked hard all night long. What Jesus was asking them to do was to get back into the boat and push out into the water and work hard again. And to that, Peter had responded with grumbling. Master, we've worked hard all night long and we have caught nothing. And to that I say, Peter, I feel you, bro. I feel you. Listen, last week, last weekend, the men, some men of this church took a fishing trip. And I was one of the people that went on the fishing trip. And I was excited to go. I was hyped. I was geeked. I was ready for the fish. And we get there early in the morning. And the weather was not ideal. And once we get on the water, the wind was blowing. It was raining. It was cold. And really weren't many fish biting at the time. But the weather did change. And so my hopes started to rise again. And then what happened was, is everybody around me began to catch fish, and I caught nothing. <laughs> we were out on the water for five and a half hours. And in that five and a half hours, my attitude went downhill very, very quickly. <laughs> and then we get back. I don't know what's popping here. Is that me? Sorry. So when Jesus told Peter to put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch, the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus knew that the fish were going to be there because they had to obey his command. And it was now up to Peter to follow suit. He didn't know that he was talking to the creator of the fish. He didn't know that the fish did all that he said to do. How far out is the deep water? I don't know. But I do know that there were no motorboats back then. So that meant him and his crew had to get into the water and pack out themselves. 
I wonder what was going through their minds. Was it, we've been out here all night already, and we're tired, and we got to get back in? Was it, this guy better know what he's talking about because we really do need to catch some fish? At some point in time, they reached where the deep waters were at, and they dropped their nets, and it was just as Jesus said it would be. They caught some fish. They caught so many fish that the nets began to break. And they had to, have to, they had to call some other fishermen over to help them with their catch. And so many fish came into the boat that both boats began to sink right there in the middle of the deep waters. And I have to imagine that Jesus was standing there thinking like, told you so. <laughs> when Peter realizes what had happened, he falls to his knees and he bows himself before Jesus in humility. And he says, go away from me for I am a sinful man. In that moment, Peter learned that Jesus was worthy of his obedience. And that choice to choose to obey some random guy's irrational request led to him saying yes to following Jesus. See, I believe that Jesus knew that day he was going to ask Peter to follow him. And I also believe that he knew of all the amazing things that were going to take place in their journey together. And I believe that in that moment, he was teaching Peter that obedience is the first step to following me. See, whether we realize it or not, we are all obeying something. When Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve, he was really saying, choose this day whom you will obey. For as for me and my house, we will obey the Lord. See, we will either serve God or we will serve ourselves. Both of these things are two masters that are vying for our obedience. And we cannot successfully serve both. Matthew 6, 24 says it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot obey God and obey the desires of the flesh and have both parties be satisfied. Because these two things are in contradictory to themselves. They are constantly wrestling, and when they wrestle, it is weakening your allegiance. And your allegiance is your devotion, is your loyalty, is your commitment to a person or a group or something. I recently told the teens that if you want to find out a good way to see where you're at spiritually, then you can do so by taking time to gauge how intense is the tug-of-war match that is taking place within you. Because that is what it should be like on a day-to-day basis. You should feel the wrestle between spirit and flesh back and forth. Right now as we speak, whether you realize it or not, there is a war of desires that is taking place within you. Galatians 5, 17 through 26 says this. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law or the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things alike. I warn you against these as I did before. 
Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's one side of the war. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the tug of war match. The desires of the flesh versus the fruits of the spirit. God versus self. And they are in constant conflict with each other. Fighting for your allegiance, fighting for your devotion. And you will obey the desires of whatever you are devoted to. Joshua was right when he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Because every day it must be an intentional decision to say, I choose to obey you, God. And whatever irrational commands that you may give me on this day. To not be intentional in choosing to serve and obey God is to be unintentionally intentional, intentional about serving the flesh. And here's what I mean by that. If we aren't daily choosing to say, God, throughout this day, I am going to obey your commands. I am choosing to the, obey the desires of the spirit. Then you will eventually obey the desires of the flesh, even when you don't intentionally mean to. We must make the decision to be devoted to Christ and make our obedience follow. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, 61. And may you be fully devoted to the Lord, our God. May you always obey his decrees and commands just as you are doing so today. So I say to our graduates and I say to everyone in here, may you always obey the decrees and the commands of God. For when you do so, I want to highlight that there are many great blessings that flow when we are operating out of a place of obedience. Luke eleven twenty eight says this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The next portion of this message, I want to pull directly from the text that is found in John 21. Before Jesus calls his disciples into following him, their occupation, their, their, their jobs were fishermen. In John 21, the miraculous catch of fish took, takes place after Jesus has died and resurrected. But the issue is, is that Peter has yet to have seen Jesus after he had come back. So when verse 3 says, I am going out to fish, in his mind, he was probably thinking, it's back to the grind. It's time to get back to my night job. I would say day job, but for whatever reason, this guy is always fishing at night. But Peter goes out with some of his disciples, and they are fishing all night long, and they catch nothing. If Peter is back to thinking, this is my livelihood, this is my source to provide for my family, then coming back to shore with empty boats and nets meant it was a rough night for business. So in Luke 5 and John chapter 21, catching these fish were a blessing to his life. In both circumstances, he needed that catch of fish, and God provided that catch of fish through Peter's act of obedience. Obeying God does result 
and forms a blessing. The second thing that I want to highlight and point out is that obedience will enhance your relationship with God. John 14, 21 says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, or in other words, obeys them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. All of this thing, all of these things that Jesus says that will happen all takes place when we obey him. Your obedience is a sign of love to Christ. And out of that flows love from him and also the father who is in heaven as well. And on top of all of that, Jesus says, I will also manifest myself to you, which means I will show myself to you. I will reveal who I am to you. I will, I will allow you to see me in my fullness. You will be able to recognize Jesus. I want to say this. The mission of a Christian is to not just live, then die, and go to heaven. If that is your objective in living this life, I have to say that you are sadly missing out on so much more. The mission of a Christian is to live and know Christ. That's why the word of God clearly says to live is Christ and to die is gain. You die, you will gain. You will gain the wonderful things of heaven. But if you live, you live and you know Jesus. If you obey him, then you will get the chance to know and understand who he really is. Had Peter said, I'm not getting back in the water, I'm done. You can choose the other boat. Get out my boat. I'm ready to go. He would have never gotten the chance to know who Jesus was. But because he obeyed, his whole life changed. Obeying the day-to-day -day things that Jesus may ask us to do including the irrational things, will completely enhance our relationship with him. It's just like receiving the day-to-day -day commands when you're a, a, a teenager or a young child. It's like receiving the, the, obey, the commands from a, a, a mother or a father and obeying them and things go well, or being married and, and asking uh, your, your husband or wife to do something and they obey and things go well. It's the same manner when we obey God, things go well. <laughs> that was funny. At the end of John 14, 21, Jesus says, to the one who obeys my commands, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. To manifest means to again reveal or to make clear or obvious to the naked eye, to the one that cannot see or to the one who is seeking to understand. Which brings me to my next point. Obedience reveals Jesus. In both stories that took place, in Luke 5 and in John 21, Peter and his crew had no idea who Jesus was. They did not know that he was the Messiah. They didn't know that he was the Savior of the world. To them, he was just some guy standing in my boat. But after they did what was commanded of them and they saw what had taken place, Something shifted on the inside of Peter and he bowed down before him and he acknowledged that he was a sinful man. He saw Jesus for who he was. And the same thing takes place in John 21. It says in verses 4 through 7, early in the morning, Jesus stood at the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. 
there was something that was keeping the disciples from recognizing that it was him. And it was not the distance in which they were standing apart from each other. It says he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. In both instances, Peter and his crew didn't know that it was Jesus until they obeyed the command that was given. There will be moments in your life that seem crazy and chaotic and frustrating and you don't understand what is going on. And then God is going to step in and say, hey, I need you to do this. And what he's asking you to do is going to seem so far-fetched and so out of this world that you're going to scratch your head and go, what? And other people may think the same thing. And in those moments, you have to obey. You must obey whatever that command is. And when you do, you will be able to see how Jesus was there in the midst of all of the chaos. Your obedience to God's day-to-day commands will reveal the work and the things that he's doing in your heart and in your life. So I want to talk about what have we learned from this strange story of catching fish. There are two catalysts in this story. And what they are is when the Bible says when they had done and when they did. When they had completed the action that was required of them, amazing things transpired afterwards. What we all must know to do in this life is, again, to always respond with obedience to Christ. No matter what it is, no matter what he's asking, no matter what he's saying, we must always respond with obedience to Jesus. In Luke 5, when Peter was presented with the opportunity to obey, he did so with grumbling. I've already worked hard all night long, Master, and I've caught nothing. But in John 21, there is no record of such things being said. But what I find interesting is is that both circumstances and conditions were very similar to what had taken place before. In both stories, they had been fishing all night long and had caught no fish. And in both stories, according to their eyes, some random guy was standing telling them how to do their job, how to catch fish. But in one story, you have grumbling and complaining. And in the other story, you have no complaining at all. They were headed back to the shore. They were done for the night. And from the shore, a man whom they couldn't tell was Jesus cries out to them, friends, have you caught anything? I want to hit a side note. I love the fact that Jesus called them friends. They had deserted him left him to die alone. They did not follow through with their proclamation of what they said that they would do when they said that we will follow you to the point of death. At his most vulnerable time when he needed them to be the friends that they said that they would be, they were nowhere to be found. But he still shows up on the shores of the water, not full of contempt, not full of bitterness, not full of anger or rage, but with grace and with joy. And he says, I know you messed up. I know you made some mistakes. I know you haven't done everything right, but I cry out to you, friends, have you caught anything? No, they answered. 
throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. In that moment, they could have begun to grumble. We've been fishing all night long. Do you think we didn't try casting off the right side of the boat? You think that we just been doing it off the left side the whole time? They could have grumbled because they were almost back to shore. Ain't no fish this close to the edge of the water. We need a lot of fish. There's not going to be much here. There were so many different things that they could have complained about, but they didn't. Think about this. Peter is the main character in this story. And I want to think about how he may feel based off what we know that has taken place. He had denied Jesus three times and he had yet to be reinstated. If you read the details that are found in John chapter 20, you will realize that Peter knew that Jesus had resurrected. He knew that Jesus was alive because the word says that he had went into the grave and saw the empty tomb for himself. The Bible says that he saw the strips of linen that once wrapped his body now lying on the ground. So Peter had evidence that Jesus was alive. If you read on in John 20, you'll learn that some of the other disciples had already had a post-resurrection encounter with Jesus. But again, Peter still had not. Details from John 20 also include that it had been over a week since Jesus had now been alive. And again, some of the other disciples had seen him, but again, Peter had not. He probably thought Jesus was avoiding him. Probably thought Jesus wanted nothing to do with him. I can imagine that he was sitting in the boat comparing himself to the other disciples thinking, they get to see Jesus. They weren't even as close to him as I was. He used to take me with him everywhere that he would go. And now he doesn't even want to show up and talk to me. He failed his best friend and the people around him saw him, but he did not. I imagine that the conversations on that boat that night were a little awkward because they weren't catching any fish. So something had to keep the night interesting. So I imagine that there were some uncomfortable moments that took place that night. But what we do know is this, is that when they cast their nets on the right side of the boat, they did so. And they had caught a miraculous catch of fish. But I wonder, after three years of following Jesus and watching irrational things happen, such as four guys tearing off the rooftop to see if Jesus had the ability to make a man walk, was normal. I wonder if something irrational such as Jesus spitting in the mud and then rubbing on a man's eyes and then now this blind man has the ability to see. I wonder if it was irrational when they watched Martha emotionally break before Jesus because her brother had died. And she believed that he, meaning Jesus, if he had been there, then he, meaning her brother, would still be alive. Only to have Jesus declare that I am the resurrection and he had the stone rolled away and then he spoke into the grave. And after four days of being dead, Lazarus comes out. How irrational was that? Can you picture Peter who saw Jesus walking across the water and he calls out to him, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, okay, get out of the boats. I wonder after three years of seeing so many irrational things take place and be involved in so many irrational moments that when somebody called out from the shore and said, drop your nets down on the right side of the boat, it no longer felt like an irrational request, but something of the norm. 
In Luke 5, it was an odd request. But now in John 21, it was nothing out of the ordinary. I wonder if they locked eyes in that moment and said, we've been here before. This is deja vu. See, you will have moments in your life where God is asking you to do some irrational things, things that make absolutely no sense, some things that will make you and the other people around you seem confused. But no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstance is, you must obey. Become familiar with obeying God, especially the irrational commands. Become familiar with obeying God on a day-to-day basis. Obeying the promptings that the spirit may lead you to do. It must not be out of the ordinary. It must seem familiar. I want to end the message this way. Earlier, I mentioned that there are many great blessings that take place from the place of obedience. And I want to bring it to an end by saying this to the graduates and to the all and to all the people. And that is Jesus is the greatest blessing that you can receive. It is greater than the materialistics, than the earthly success. It is greater than favor in man's eyes. The greatest blessing that you can receive is Jesus. I want to take note of something that Peter did. In John 21, 6, it says, When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. In this moment, they are fascinated. They are amazed. They just had their second catch of a lifetime. And they are wrestling with the nets, trying to get it into the boat so they can get back to shore. And in the middle of all of this happening, John, which was the disciple that Jesus had loved, he happens to look away from the miraculous catch of fish. And he looks back to the shore and he realizes that Jesus was standing at the shore. I imagine that he was looking up, hoping that whoever was that told him to drop the nets on the right side of the boat, he's probably thinking like, yo, are you, are you seeing this? <laughs> and he does so, and he looks up, and now all of a sudden his eyes are open, and he's able to see it is Jesus. And then he grabs Peter, because there was only one thing that Peter wanted to take place. He grabs Peter, and he says, Look, it's the Lord. Peter probably was standing there like tugging on the nets, just looking like, I can't believe this just happened. John looks up, happens to look behind him, and he's like, he sees this Jesus, and I imagine he's still looking at Jesus like, hey, Peter, Peter, what, what? It's the Lord. And the Bible says Peter looks up, and he looks, and he sees that it's the Lord. He grabs his outer garments and he places them on his body and then he just dives into the water. And he begins to chase after Jesus with everything he had. The fish were no longer amazing him. They no longer had his attention. He was no longer captivated by this miraculous catch of fish because there was something that was far greater that had his attention and it was Jesus. And he is chasing after him with everything he's got. I have no idea how deep the water is at 100 yards. The Bible says that they were, in John 21, 8, it says the disciples stayed with the fish. They were not that far from the shore, only about 100 yards. Again, I have no idea how far out um, or how deep it is at 100 yards far out. 
and I'll never get in the water to figure it out. But, <laughs> but I imagine it was probably somewhat deep. So he jumps into the water, and he begins to just swim to shore with everything he's got. And I'm wondering what's going through his mind. Is, is it really Jesus? Is it him? Is he going to be there when I show up? So he's swimming, and he's swimming, and he gets to this point where he can no longer swim because the water's, water's too shallow. And then he stands up on his feet, and he is just trucking through the water with everything he's got because his objection and his goal was to see Jesus. The greatest blessing that you will ever receive in this life is Jesus. So as things happen and you see God do work and you see incredible things take place, never fall in love with the miracle, fall in love with the miracle maker. Chase after Jesus. Life will have some irrational things happen. Some things happen that we struggle to make sense of. Some things happen that make us scratch our head. And in those moments, God is always there with a command for us to obey. And it is on our shoulders to do so. He knows what he's doing. He knows what is on the other end before he even asks you the question or he asks you to follow through. And we have to trust him with that outcome. Amen. Let's stand.